Good morning. Welcome to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Tough one for the Toronto Blue Jays yesterday. If you are generally a baseball fan at large, it's probably cool to see Bryce Harper have a, a throwback Bryce Harper day in a season where he hasn't had many of them. His first two home run games since early June of 2022. If you're a Toronto Blue Jay fan, probably wished you saw that happen against a different team. Tough, tough, tough game for the Toronto Blue Jays. That started with a tough, tough game for Kevin Gosman. Gosman with a Blue Jays low. So the fewest he's had over two seasons as a Blue Jay here. A swing and miss in an outing. He only got six swings and misses yesterday and only two with the splitter. I know that Kevin Gosman didn't particularly like Alfonso Marquez's strike zone. He is notorious for having a smaller strike zone. I know we'll get the ump scorecard at some point today. I don't think that was the chief issue in that game. Kevin Gosman's splitter just was not getting the break down and out of the zone at the bottom that we're accustomed to seeing. The Phillies were all over it for some hard contact. All over the fastball when he tried to sneak that over the slider was moderately effective, but got hit pretty hard when guys could time it up. Not the kind of Kevin Gosman outing that we are familiar with. He was not helped a ton by the defense behind him. Santiago Espinal with a throwing error at third base that costed Kevin Gosman a pair of unearned runs and a pretty inexcusable one. Speedy runner at the plate, couple men in scoring position, Santiago Espinal casually... And look, it it wasn't the most conventional of, of hops to Espinal, but a little casual with it. The double clutch, the throw sails. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. should have had the pick at first base. It hit the heel of his glove. That's one we've seen Vladimir Guerrero Jr. pick before, but Espinal gets charged with the error. I would say the bulk of that goes to Espinal for the laissez-faire uh, approach to it and the throw that tailed. And in that moment, you see the cost of having no Matt Chapman for the last couple of games. Anyway, the Jays wouldn't put up enough offense to, for that to, to matter really. Anyway, maybe the game gets managed differently if it's a little closer, but they lose nine, four uh, another day where the bats don't get a ton going. Dalton Varsho hit a home run. Jays got some stuff going on the bases. Uh, Kevin Biggio and George Springer both stole bases. Vladimir Guerrero jr. We thought successfully stole a base as well, but George Springer was called for catchers interference on a swinging third strike. So that means Vlad was out at second as well, kind of neutralized the last time the Blue Jays would make any sort of push in that one. If you are stretching for positives from a 9-4 loss in a series split, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. mirrored in one of the worst 20-game stretches since his rookie season. Uh, did get on base three times, singled, walked twice. Kevin Biggio had yet another uh, good game. He had two hits in this one a day after reaching base three times with a pair of walks and, and a hit by a pitch. Uh, he has reached base and I think seven consecutive starts at this point. Um, if you are looking for negatives, there's of course the Kevin Gosman of it all. Uh, there is the somewhat strange deployment of the bullpen. Uh, Tim Mesa came in and Tim Mesa leads the league in inherited runner stranded. He lets both come across. He goes sack fly, hard hit single, hard hit single. He gets yanked after just three pitches. Eric Swanson needs four pitches to get out of that inning. And then the Jays decide ah, that's it for Swanson for today and then they turn it over to their lower level lower leverage rather relievers from there a bit of a white flag i thought um after keeping the game at seven 
four. Now, some of the decisions that were made in this one are probably informed by the fact that there's an off day today. Uh, the decision to not play Matt Chapman and Danny Jansen through bumps and bruises was made in part because, hey, these this is a two-game series bookended by off days. You can get those guys four days of rest to recover while only missing them for a pair of games. And yes, one of the arms in the bullpen of the lower leverage variety probably headed to AAA when Trevor Richards is back up this weekend, as we expect him to be. Um, but a bit of a curious one anyway. Jays will have a day today to reset. Keep your eye on the Buffalo Bisons box score a little bit later because Bo Bichette's going to get into another game. There are reinforcements coming. There is probably a press release tomorrow afternoon sometime with a boatload of transactions on it. Keegan Matheson will be the guy tweeting that out for you from Cincinnati of MLB.com of BlueJays.com. Keegan Matheson joins us now. Good morning. Good morning, Blake. I just checked in for a flight to Cincinnati. What a delightful way to start a day. Well, I got to tell you, man, I I, uh, I got some looks yesterday. So we, we grabbed a coffee together before the game and, and uh, your name was written on my cup, but spelled incorrectly. I tell you, I brought that coffee cup down around the field level, got some eyeballs. Not only that I had potentially stolen your drink, uh, but also the Kagan spelling is, uh, is that one you get much? I get that a lot. I get the EI. I get the EA. It's it's a little better now. You know, I, I always say that I try to, I'm trying to find a Keegan that's older than me. You know, I, I feel like I'm an elder Keegan. Um, so it's gotten better over time as our association has grown. People know how to spell this name, but uh I was I was happy to autograph your cup. It's okay to admit. Thanks, man. Uh, and and in return, I showed you the secret way into the stadium. Where Keegan, I, I don't I don't want to out you as antisocial, but the way into the stadium where you don't have to see nearly as many people, I got to think that's a big plus to your day to day. That's my absolute favorite way. That's that's the the self checkout, the Uber Eats, please leave it at the door entry of the stadium. It, it's. Uh, any way where I can move quietly through the world, uh, especially at this point of the year. I, even if I was a willing conversationalist, I think I'm just out of, uh, I'm out of topics. I'm out of energy at game uh, 115 or wherever we are. Further than that, buddy, we're, uh, we're getting there. Now, at this point, we are uh, 122 into the season for the Toronto Blue Jays. So uh, 40 more of these things to go. And before we get into last night's game, I, I know you you kind of joked a little bit on social media with our pal Julia Kreutz yesterday. But, uh, you know, obviously there are 40 more games to go. A lot can happen. But there is that feeling this time of year. And, and Dan Schulman would disagree. But we'll play it out anyway. It is dog days. Uh, do you get that sense around the Blue Jays as well. I know they have some pieces coming back and there was the shot in the arm with Davis Schneider, et cetera, but it doesn't feel particularly urgent the last week or two around this team. Do you think that's fair to say? Yeah. This part of the calendar tends to drag a bit. Again, I feel there's always a real rush of excitement at the trade deadline, end of July into August. But unless you make the big trade, unless you go out and acquire, you know, Troy Tulowitzki and David Price, it does usually take a dip in around mid-August. And I'm talking about being around the stadium. I'm sure a lot of fans feel this too, watching. It's, uh, you're back into that every single day grind. Uh, for the players, certainly they had those 17 games in 17 days. And it starts to pick up again as you reach September because – at this point of the season, you're getting a little eager to be looking at standings and 
even I catch myself sometimes, Blake, writing last night, you know, this moves them to just one up or one and a half up on the Mariners. It's still August. You know, there's a little time for jockeying left before that really matters. That update really matters every night. But it's coming around the corner, coming around the corner. It sure is. Uh, So last night felt like one of those, hey, not particularly urgent, forgettable games for the Blue Jays. That was especially so for Kevin Gosman. He goes five and a third in this one, charged with, uh, what well, allows seven runs. He's only charged with five of them. Uh, three walks, four strikeouts, seven hits, gives up the one home run. Uh, I know Kevin Gosman had some issues with the strike zone from Alfonso Marquez, but this outing was a lot more about Kevin Gosman than the umpire. What did you see in Gosman's struggles last night? Yeah, this is another interesting case of a team making a decision on Kevin Gosman's splitter. And Gosman has been so good this year. I think right now he belongs top three in the Cy Young conversation. He is my favorite pitcher in baseball to watch pitch, just in terms of appreciating how a pitcher works. But there have been a couple of times, very oddly, Blake, over the last two seasons, We saw it last year just a couple of times. I think the Twins did it one time. And two or three times this season where an opposing lineup will just have a really good strategy against him. Sometimes that is, okay, we are not swinging at the splitter, period. We are going to lay off of it and wait for a fastball. Last night, they were going after that splitter a little bit. So Kevin Gosman pivoted away from it through a lot more fastballs. It's going to happen to even the very best pitchers in baseball, but baseball is a sport about pessimism and looking for these cracks sometimes. And you do need to think down the road to a wild card series and ALDS. You are going to get a team's very best game plan, their absolute A plus game plan. So that's something Kevin Gossman will need to work around, making sure that one of these doesn't happen again, because his splitter is, so good. It's one of the best pitches in baseball, but every once in a while, somebody gets the right strategy against it. It's kind of that kryptonite and figures it out. And yesterday, look, they, they jumped on the splitter a lot, but the splitter also wasn't breaking as much as we, we normally see the break on that pitch topped out where he normally averages and he just wasn't getting it quite down below the zone. I, I know that Gosman doesn't say a ton after bad starts. Did he, talk at all post game about what was up with that splitter in his estimation or was it kind of just the standard? Yeah. I got to execute better stuff. Yeah. He didn't like the splitter and really didn't like his slider. I think, which is related in terms of mechanics and how it was coming out of his hand. The description that Gosman used was that he needs to stay behind the ball more. And that's a baseball vagary. But what he's saying is that he, he needs to be driving through that pitch committing to it a bit more, which produces that break. And another factor in all of this is that when you are a pitcher trying to create elite level movement on a pitch, some days your body just doesn't feel as good as others. So we're not talking about injuries or an issue, but today I woke up and I feel tired for no reason. Pitchers are the same. Kevin Tosman is around our age. Sometimes you wake up and you're not feeling as great as other days. You might not have that 100% physical power from your body. Maybe you get 95 that day for whatever reason. So there have been a couple of days where Gossman hasn't had his top velocity, Blake. We've seen that a couple of times. Normally he can work around that though, because the splitter is still good. This was a day where the splitter didn't feel as good. And without that, 
it's a little harder for him to work as a fastball slider guy. Just wasn't natural. For sure. And the splitter I mentioned off the top, it only had two swing and misses the entire game. That is the fewest he's had with the splitter in his time as a Blue Jay. The six swing and misses overall, the fewest he's had in any start as a Blue Jay. That even includes the one that he came out of early. If you remember the comebacker and the two inning start, he still managed more uh, swing and miss in that one. Now, prior to the game, John Schneider had been asked a little bit about Kevin Gosman's Cy Young candidacy. Now that this game is not going to swing anyone. I think anyone in the Cy Young race basically is going to have uh, a couple of off days on there. And you look at the season long numbers, Kevin Gosman's still checking in at a, a pretty tidy three two four ERA, almost 12 strikeouts per nine. He is headed toward becoming just the third Blue Jays pitcher to strike out 200 batters in back-to-back seasons uh, assuming health down the stretch here he's only 13 away um where do you i mean i I guess you don't have to rank it you don't have to line up the american league but when it comes to kevin gosman cy young candidacy i know you're someone who who gets to vote on the awards at times uh is he kind of in the mix for you yesterday aside he has to be i I think we did our our most recent uh cy young poll at mlb.com he was number two behind garrett cole that was just before yesterday's start, but that doesn't change a ton. It's a pretty interesting race, honestly, in the AL. Garrett Cole, I think, is that favorite right now, but nobody is running away with it. It's not like Shohei Otani in the MVP. There's nothing completely landslide about this. Now, Dosman has the strikeouts you can point to, the workloads there, the ERA is there. When you look at the FIP, when you look yeah. at the BABIP, is allowing a lot better, a, a lot more favoring Gosman. It's really a copy of last year, maybe just a bit better, because his BABIP against isn't historically bad. It's just really bad. It's still the worst among any qualified AL starter. It's still terrible luck. But last year, I believe, was the second worst BABIP among any pitcher since 1920. That's not going to work. So a year ago, I was Gosman's only Cy Young vote. I had him number five on my ballot. I do not think I should have been alone there. I think that was wrong in voting. And I do take it really seriously when I'm voting for a Blue Jays player or manager on this because I only see one team consistently. I want to be sure that bias is removed. But I believe Gosman should have been that fourth or fifth place finish last year, not ninth, where, you know, where he was stuck with one vote. This year, it looks like he's going to get much more consideration for that. Now, any voting process is is flawed, as human voting goes, but I think that more people are noticing what he's doing, and I hope that more voters are looking a little bit beyond DRA wins and losses and the surface-level things. And here's where some of the complication comes in. If you are someone who you know, does a stats page filter or brings up the leaderboards when you're first uh, coming up with your ballot, if you were to open up the American League wins above replacement leaders for uh, fan graphs, Kevin Gosman is number one. He's been worth 4.3 wins above replacement. If you open up the AL war leaders among pitchers on baseball reference, he's 28th and has been worth half as much. And the reason why, for anyone who doesn't know, Fangraphs bases their wins above replacement on FIP, the stat that Keegan mentioned that stands for fielding independent pitching. So it basically assumes, hey, a pitcher is responsible for walks, strikeouts, and home runs. Those are the three things that are batter versus pitcher. Anything else is subject to 
good luck and bad luck and bad fielding and good fielding and things like that. The baseball reference one says, yeah, that's maybe cool for projecting guys forward. But when we're talking about what happened this year, we're going to use what actually happened, the runs you actually allowed, whether we'd expect that to continue or not. So that's the difference between uh, Gosman projecting with a 280-ish ERA forward by FIP versus a 324 ERA or a 375 ERA by expected ERA, which kind of tries to blend these things and bring in some stat cast stats and things like that. Keegan, how do you, I mean, obviously we have to look at both. We have these things are too dramatically opposed to just take one or the other, but when it comes to end of season voting, do you lean more toward FIP and Hey, what should have happened if life was fair? Or do you lean more toward the baseball reference side of, Hey, this is what happened. And it's a backward looking award. I try to maybe wait to the, the fan graph side of that. What should have happened a little bit more because when it comes time to vote, if you are voting on, let's say Cy Young or MVP, I, I hope and pray every year I'm not voting on manager of the year or something <laughs> because I frankly don't know what to do with that. Oh, it's the award um, for which team ex- exceeded expectations, whether it's the manager's job or not. Award. Definitely, because I have a great feel for how the – Milwaukee Brewers are being managed, of course. (laughs) But when I look at these awards, of course, let's use Garrett Cole as an example. Covering the Blue Jays, I will see Garrett Cole pitch two or three times this season. But for the sake of my own sanity, I am not someone who goes home from a Blue Jays game and watches a full West Coast game at night. That is not how my brain works now. It's not how it will ever be. So I think it's important to, A, learn these players, but also try to remove any biases that might be involved. If you are a voter in another city, maybe you've seen a little more Garrett Cole than Kevin Gosman. Maybe you've seen both of those guys more than someone in a small market or than a rookie who is just making a name for themselves this year. So I I think that those expected stats help you try to remove any sort of bias or any sort of lean you might have towards names that you know and see more often because that's the big struggle when you get into these voting. It is. And that's why I'm, uh, you know, I'm thankful. I don't have a vote. Uh, it would be fun to do it once in a while, but, uh, yeah, it's something that I look, I've done straw polls on the NBA side. I've never had an official vote on the NBA side. And even those I take way too much time to, to come up with. So, uh, thankful that, uh, shy Davidi, president of the BBWA has never tagged me in, uh, for a vote there within, uh, that Kevin Gosman performance last night, Keegan, a couple of home runs from Bryce Harper, um, just as a baseball fan, and I know our pal Julia was on the Phillies side for this series, uh, seeing Bryce Harper have a game like that, um, cool for you on the baseball fan side of things, frustrating that it came against the Blue Jays. Uh, Bryce Harper's had a season that, yes, a little bit more injury-based, but it really does feel like he could fit on the Blue Jays as superstar guy who's just playing well but not superstar level. Yeah, it's always great to see stars be stars. You know, that's something that I think uh, makes baseball a better league. It's why the NBA is such an incredible league is because the stars are stars and you get to see them. You get to see that personality a little bit. When I think of Bryce Harper, I think back to that Sports Illustrated cover when he was, what, 16, 17 years old. This guy is the future of baseball. There have been a thousand of those stories where the guy turns out to either 
not be that good or be an idiot. We've seen so many stories where that child prodigy baseball player, football player just turns out to be an idiot or falls flat. Bryce Harper has overcome all of that. He has been so good in the big leagues. Not a guy that you hear problems about, a guy that maybe plays with some edge you don't like as an opposing fan, absolutely. But if you've been a fan of the Nationals or the Phillies, you love the guy. And when you look at the trajectory his career is on, pretty fascinating where those numbers could go. Someone that, as a baseball fan, I hope stays healthy. I I hope has a lot more productive years and can put that together because baseball is better when you can believe in the hype a little bit. And every time there's a success story like Bryce Harper, eh, maybe fans can help believe in the hype of their own guys and their own systems a bit more. I think that's the beauty of the NBA, the NFL. You can get excited, truly excited about that next young guy in baseball. It's still, Hey, you know what? Number one prospect, but, It'll probably go wrong. That's not, it's not a very fun place to be as a fan. So for every Bryce Harper that works out, I think that's good for the sport. And Bryce Harper, look, I, not to do the sales job on Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but Bryce Harper, another guy who came up very young, tons of fanfare. And you look at those first five seasons, he had one MVP level one and then a bunch of ones that were just good, not great. And then, you know, settled in as full-time Bryce Harper for a little while uh, after that. On the Vlad side of things, Keegan, uh, Good day yesterday, gets on base three times, but coming into that one, been a 20-game stretch with an OPS down at 634. So sometimes, you know, we've talked about, well, Vlad's struggling, but the bar is so high. The bar is so high, you know, sub-800 OPS is cause for concern, not sub-900 or not, you know, this this OPS down in the tank. The fact that he was coming in a 20-game stretch where he'd basically, you know, hit like Santiago Espinal or, or until very recently, Kevin Biggio. Um, what have you made of his struggles over the last, I, I know it's been more of a season long thing, but it seems to have reached a, a higher level. The 20 games or so before last night. Yeah. This has been so confusing all season long, Blake, there have been a few different times and, and I am, you know, working in baseball. I think it helps to be pessimistic sometimes or, at least have a higher bar for prove it, you know, prove that you are all the way back. There have been a few times this season where I've truly believed that Vladdy was back, where he would have a stretch for two or three games where you'd think, wow, that's what it looks like. Again, here he is. And it hasn't lasted, which has really surprised me because there have been so many opportunities for it to last with Vladdy. And the worrying thing here is that he needs to hit to have value. This is not Dalton Varsho, where you are great on the bases and elite in the outfield. Vladdy is playing first base this year. The metrics do not like him as much as they did last year. Not close. I think he's been better than those metrics, perhaps. First base is a tricky one always. But he's not exactly playing that gold glove, wow-level defense at first base. He needs to hit. Absolutely has to hit. And it hasn't been there. He has the capability to do what nobody else on this team can do bigger than Bo bigger than anyone else. Vladdy has the talent to be a game changer, a series changer. Maybe if you're in the ALDS or further, but we just haven't seen it. 122 in at this point, then it's been a long season of saying that it will come around. Those expected stats will level out and show themselves. 
It's almost September. You know, at this point, I think Julio Rodriguez, Blake is what I point to with the Mariners. He wasn't great this year, and he's turned it on lately, had a good run. Can Vladdy do that? Or is this what you're looking at the rest of the year? It's not going to work if it is. Yeah, it's a it's a tough way to go. It's a tough way to get there, and it's a tough way to operate in the playoffs. If you're the guy who's supposed to be middle of the order, generational hitter, uh, is down around a 775 OPS where he is now. Uh, maybe a step forward in the right direction last night, but uh, not going to bite on that pump fake until uh, we see a couple <laughs> games of it. Someone who has more definitively turned things around after a cold start is Kevin Biggio. Another good game yesterday with a pair of hits coming off a day in which he'd had a pair of walks and the RBI hit by a pitch. He's been in the lineup more regularly. He's hitting up in the lineup more regularly. There is a playing time crunch ahead as Matt Chapman, Danny Jansen, Bo Bichette, Kevin Kiermeyer all return. But for the moment being, Keegan, I know that the relationship between John Schneider and Kevin Biggio is one you've enjoyed over the course of the the years and particularly this season. Um, how big has this been for, for Kevin Biggio the last little bit? Yeah, you're finally seeing what John Schneider has been waiting on lately. And when Biggio was really struggling, I mean, April was terrible. Early May was really bad. I think by May 2022, He's still 20th or 22nd, sorry. He, he still had that OPS down below 500, average well below 200. It, it was ugly, period. But the reason that I don't know if defended is the right word, but the reason that I, I believe Biggio was still part of this team and part of their future success at the time was not because of any personal belief, but it's what I was being told over and over and over and over by the Blue Jays, by coaches, by people around the team. They believe in this guy. They love this guy. You know, Kevin Biggio is such a model for how they want to play the game. And I don't mean hitting 220 and chasing some bombs. I mean the approach that he has. You've seen it a little bit more with that incredible double play he pulled off in Cleveland. Some of those smart, intelligent moments he has on the field, we weren't able to see many of them early this season. The playing time was too sporadic. Biggio was not playing well, frankly, at that time, but full credit to him. He has earned more playing time. His offensive approach has actually changed. If just the numbers change, okay, prove it, keep it going. But when the numbers change because of a change in approach, you can believe it a bit more. I think he is showing who the Blue Jays have been waiting on right now. And again, there's a reason that he got more patience than another guy might get. It's because the Blue Jays just really, really believe in this guy. So if we look ahead a little bit, let's assume everything goes swimmingly the next couple of days. Boba Shedd and Kevin Kiermeyer are activated on the weekend and Matt Chapman and Danny Jansen are back. There are going to be Chapman and Jansen are on the roster already, so we don't have to do a corresponding roster move there. I think the playing time of late suggests that Davis Schneider is one of the guys outbound. The other decision would then be a, a Nathan Lucas or maybe even a Santiago Espinal. I, I think Biggio's play of late certainly has insulated him from this discussion. Um, Espinal maybe a, a little, a few more paths to playing time and having a role, but another moment last night, Keegan, where the defensive inattention or lack of sharpness um, backfires on the Blue Jays. And we've seen that a couple times from Espinal of late, a guy whose defense is supposed to be his calling card. Do you see a scenario where he ends up one of the odd men out in the next couple of days? 
It makes you appreciate Matt Chapman, doesn't it, at third base? Uh, Watching Matt Chapman every day, he makes it look so easy that sometimes you're tricked into thinking it might be easy. The moment Matt Chapman is out of the game, this started back in Cleveland, I believe. Maybe it was just a scheduled off day, if I'm remembering right. And immediately, a ball gets between Santiago Espinal and the third base line. You notice it right away when Matt Chapman is not in there. And that's uh, that's something that we can talk about, how worrying that is this offseason a hundred times huh. as well. We'll see where that goes. But Espinal has not exactly helped himself lately. This is a, an awkward conversation because where does Paul DeYoung fit in all of this? If DeYoung was not a recent trade acquisition, I think this is a way easier conversation. If you're talking about a guy who was already in the org, I know that being a recent trade acquisition kind of impacts this and his track record's there, but the Blue Jays need success right now. They need to win tomorrow and the next day, not three weeks from now. So there are a few ways this can go. It would be a tough break for David Schneider if that's him going down. I liked his at-bats even between those home runs, the power. I liked how he looked in Cleveland. But Espinal being on that bubble, I I think he finally is there. And it's a a tough one for the Blue Jays to be looking at. Whoever is sent down will be right back up on September 1, I'm sure. But it's a real wealth of depth that the Blue Jays have there. And when you look at each guy, Espinal, the performance-based, a young performance, but he's a recent trade acquisition. Schneider has the recent peak, but is he going to sustain it? such different situations and it's a real philosophical decision as much as a performance decision. Yeah. And the, the one other factor with the young as well is that he has over five years of service time now. So even yeah. though he would technically have options, he would have to uh, approve being optioned down. And I don't know if he'd be, uh, yeah, I, I don't know that he'd be super thrilled with that. So uh, there are going to be a couple decisions to make there, a couple decisions to make in the bullpen uh, as well as Trevor Richards nears a return. And, and then a little later, Chad green Keegan, we can save that one. I mean, it, it's pretty evident that, it's Bowden Francis and Jay Jackson as the, yeah. you know, one of those guys is going down and then the second one will go down and then whoever's, you know, performing well or, or ready to go comes back up in, in terms of who is actually still on the roster. When you see how the playing time shakes out again, let's assume Chapman, Jansen, Bo, Kiermaier all back and ready to go this weekend. Um, that was who is going to be outside of the roster. When it comes to the actual playing time breakdown, we have an idea of how the catchers are going to split things up. Um, maybe Bo gets a DH day here and there against left-handed pitching. That's tougher to do against righties because you want Brandon Belt in there and him and Vlad kind of take up first base and DH. Um, but to circle back to the Biggio thing, you know, this kind of like 10th slash 11th man role where whoever's off day it is, Biggio comes in. Is that what you see, or could it be more of a split time between, you know, him, Varsho, Whit Merrifield taking up two spots in the lineup every day? I think you still see him in that pretty regular reserve role, that that role that if he was in it all season, you're still seeing him in 95, 100 games type of deal. That seems to be such a good spot for Biggio. You just need to get him enough reps, regular enough, that he can stay in whatever groove this is that he's in right now. And Biggio is a player who I trust to deal with that, deal with inconsistent playing time as well as anyone, but it doesn't work. It's not something that any player wants or really benefits from. So 
there will always be a way. There will always be somebody with a cut-up elbow or a thumb jammed on the weight rack, a middle finger. But for Biggio out of the gates there, I think it's important to try to keep this rolling if you're him because some of these other players we're talking about have been more consistent all season long. So if they need to take one more off day than usual over a one- or two-week span, so be it because you've seen what Biggio at his worst this season looks like. You don't want to go back there. I think what he's doing right now is so good for this team. And when you're getting Biggio in a place where home runs, great, singles, great. But when he's taking his walks and really being that guy who can be a high 300s on-base player, that's such an interesting thing to have lower down in this lineup. He can help keep those, those runners moving, the bases full, Ideally, you find some places for him and brings us back, Blake, to the old, you know, it, it works itself out every time eventually. But I think you need to prioritize Biggio just a little bit. Nothing crazy, but just a bit. Kevin Biggio now up to a 99 WRC plus on the season. So when we control for park factors and things like that, basically a league average stat line, a 796 OPS since the beginning of May after that ice 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 cold start to the season uh keegan matheson not ice cold in cincinnati are you going to fire up some nice hot skyline chili i have to once i've been told i have to uh you know heartburn avoidance blake (laughs) is a number one priority on the road for me so maybe the rest of today i'll just eat like smoothies and yogurt and then set myself up for uh a little success with that sloppy, disgusting-looking chili tomorrow. Yeah, I, I have found it to be a little overrated myself. I know it's a it's a regional thing, and maybe I don't have the refined uh, Midwest <laughs> palate. But, uh, yeah, let, let us know what you think. I, I think it's maybe uh, a little overstated, but we'll, we'll see if you feel the same. Keegan Matheson, enjoy Cincinnati, man. Thank you for taking the time out. You got it, brother. Take care. Keegan Matheson of MLB.com, of Blue Jays. Dot com at Keegan Matheson on Twitter for all your Blue Jays updates through this Reds series. Uh, a little later in the show, we've got a, a loaded second half of the show here. Uh, if you are an immaculate grid player, we've got Sean Foreman, who is the founder and president of Sports Reference, so baseball reference, basketball reference, all those sites coming on to talk a, a little bit about that site's background, his background, and also their acquisition of, of Immaculate Grid. Very curious to get into some of the numbers that they're seeing. Um, it was very funny down at the ballpark on Tuesday. Uh, everyone very excited to tell Caleb Joseph that he was a grid answer that day and that everyone had used him and he was down in the, he got everyone a, a sub 1% answer. So we'll talk to Sean Foreman of Sports Reference, Brandon Phillips. Uh, former Cincinnati Red and owner of the championship-winning Texas Smoke and the women's professional fast-pitch team will join us as well. We've got Annie Sabo from the Reds to help us tee up that series a little bit early right now that we're going to take a break, and then we'll answer some of your questions. If you've got stuff for the text line, hit us up, 590-590. We'll do uh, 15 or so on your questions as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Discussing the biggest stories that matter to Toronto sports fans. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Forfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That is a band called Dizzy from Oshawa. Uh, They have a new album out tomorrow. It's very, very, very 
good. Uh, some big sports fans in that band as well. So shout out to them. Uh, Jays split a series with the Phillies. 1-1. They're off to Cincinnati next. Uh, it sounds like some Jays fans are going to make that trek. Uh, we had someone in the text line ask what to do in Cincinnati. Uh, I can't really answer that one for you. I've only been there one time. And it was back in 2008. It was a May game, and it was a fun one. So it was uh, Cincinnati against Cleveland. Cincinnati, obviously the home team. And uh, this was, I had done a couple years in a row, uh, some road trips with friends to see a couple different stadiums at a time uh, in the spring or or summer as our schedules allowed. So this one was uh, shortly after I graduated university, uh, hit the road. Cincinnati is one of our stops. Saturday afternoon. And it looks like we are going to get rained on pretty badly. Bottom of the ninth, though. As the skies begin to open up, Adam Dunn hits a walk-off home run to send us home dry if one of the friends I was with hadn't left the lights on in the car and left us with no battery in the parking lot. Uh, There were some very nice people in Cincinnati. I didn't know this at the time, but there's some Reds fans who like to tailgate a Reds game. Uh, So we got some help from them, had some beverages and meats in the rain as we got, uh, as we waited for a jump because these very helpful people didn't have jumper cables for us. But yeah, Adam Dunn, walk-off home run. The one time I was down in Cincinnati. I don't have a lot of tips for things to do. Um, I guess try Skyline Chili. That's that's the thing everyone says from the food perspective. That Reds team that I saw, by the way, uh, just an unbelievable Reds lineup. So Ken Griffey Jr. played that day. Uh, Brandon Phillips, who we're going to talk to at 11 o'clock, was in that lineup. Joey Votto, of course, Adam Dunn. And our old pal Edwin Encarnacion still with the Reds uh, at that point. That was a, an Aaron Harang start. Uh, so I guess a fun era of those Reds teams. Uh, that was not a particularly good team, despite how good that lineup sounds. Uh, that was a year that Votto was among the walk leaders. 874 OPS, but only 24 home runs that season for him. Uh, Dunn hit 32 home runs that year. Edwin had 26 so not a, not a terrible team, but really didn't have the pitching to go. And hey, that next year, Edwin would find his way to Toronto. A couple more texts in the text line, and you can keep those uh, coming throughout this segment to 590, 590. Uh, I mentioned earlier the Vlad stat, and heading into yesterday's game, he had a 634 OPS over his last 20 games. Now, he has had 20-game stretches that shaky before, but not often. And they usually didn't last much longer than that. Most of those you have to go back to his rookie season for, but he had one last year, uh, one in 2020 as well. It's not entirely uncommon for Vlad to have a bad month like that. However, if we go back even further, if we go back to the middle of May, 81 games. So half a season, right? 707 OPS over those 81. That is the worst half season stretch, no matter where you chop the lines, you know, if you want to go games one to 81, two to 82, three to 83, et cetera. Uh, Vlad has not had an 81 game stretch 
that poor since his rookie year. So it is uh, it is worth continuing to monitor his OPS on the season now uh, down around 775. So this question in the text line from Chris and Whitby asks, will we see Vladdy with an OPS over 900 again uh, now this season? Uh, no, we will not. I don't think it's going to. He would need a ludicrously hot stretch run here uh, to get it back over 900. Uh, if you were wondering career context-wise, 772 as a rookie, 791, 1.002. And then last year in the kind of regression season, uh, 818 and now 778. So 846 career OPS. I would bet, yes, we do see a 900 OPS from Vlad uh, again at some point. He's still just 24. The batted ball stuff is still top 10 in baseball. This is, and I know nobody wants to hear this anymore, but it's important context if we're projecting forward, not saying it's going to happen this year, um, not saying it it means he hasn't struggled uh, and and underwhelmed relative to expectations, but if we look at actual results versus expected results when it comes to batted ball things and strikeouts and walks, this is a top 10 season in the stack cast era. So going back to 2015 uh, in terms of the actual results underperforming what we'd expect to happen. So if you look at weighted on base average, which adds the value of extra base hits and things like M walks and things like that, um, the gap between his actual and expected is one of the 10, you could say unluckiest. Um, I don't know that unlucky is the right way to frame it because as we've dug in on Vlad, we've seen, some things that explain some of it. Yes, he hits the ball hard, but that tends to be, you know, in in lower danger spots. I've referenced Robert Orr's statistic from baseball perspectives a couple times called damage rate that takes exit velocity and launch angle and direction all together to try to weed out some of this. Yes, a hard hit ball is great, but a hard hit ball right down the line to the third baseman on the ground is maybe not great. Uh, this damage rate stat still shows Vlad as below average, or sorry, above average, but not dramatically so this year. It, it, that stat is not as favorable about Vlad as some of the exit velocities and hard hit rates and barrel rates are. So there is something interesting underlying. I still think when you've shown a, a 1,000 plus OPS for a whole season before, and you've shown such a significant one for a half season um, that I'm going to bet on you finding that level again at some point over the next 10 years, maybe not a 1000 OPS, but the question was 900. Uh, and yes, there are, there's always someone who will text or tweet in that this is because of the ballparks that he played in for the 40 games uh, of that 2021 season. That is a factor, but we have, things that control for all of that. And even those say that that 2021 was a much better Vlad season than, than we've seen. So yes, Dunedin and and Buffalo were different hitting environments, but we can adjust for those things. And our conclusions are still kind of the same. A couple of texts from the text line uh, from a little earlier in the week. Uh, Dylan in Toronto had said, seems an obvious point, but a huge benefit to having such depth at the back of the bullpen is uh, you can, you don't necessarily have to run Jordan Romano out every single ninth inning. If you decide to give him an extra rest day, you're not, not sacrificing a save. I think that's a great point. John Schneider talked about this a little bit yesterday. Um, You know, obviously he's not going to say, Hey, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday are Jimmy Garcia, Tim Mesa, Jordan Romano days. And Wednesday, Friday, Sunday are Cabrera Swanson Hicks days. But he did say they kind of look at the bullpen in pairs and who, who fits what role. And yes, you could in an ideal world, say you played six games in a row and they were all 
tight after six innings. You've got a seventh inning guy, an eighth inning guy, a ninth inning guy, and then you've got another seventh inning guy, eighth inning guy, ninth inning guy that you like. So I think you can be mindful of Jordan Romano's workload, mindful of Eric Swanson's workload as he pushes past uh, career highs in appearances and innings at the major league level here. I know I questioned kind of uh, pulling Eric Swanson after just four pitches yesterday. Maybe that's a component of that. Although what we've heard from the sports science people over the years, um, you know, at, at the outside of the organization level is that the biggest thing we're looking for is, Hey, once a, the process of getting a guy up and going is the biggest load factor that you're going to have. So how many times do you have to get up and get into a game? Each additional pitch is not that much of an extra factor versus coming in, you know, two times in a row or, or four times in five days or something like that. So yes, it's great for Jordan Romano. You'll have Trevor Richards back in the mix at some point soon as well. And then you will once again be uh, the only bullpen in baseball. This I actually think Jordan Hicks's whiff rate has dipped just below this. So I lose this stat now, but the only bullpen in baseball at one point with four guys with a 30% whiff rate or higher. I think Jordan Hicks is coming in at like 29 point something now. So we're going to need him to get some extra strikeouts. Uh, so that's that comes back around. Uh, Brian from Parts Unknown. Oh, a lot, lot of friends from Parts Unknown over the years. Uh, says, I'm most fr frustrated by the Jays' bats. So many quality hitters are just not hitting. Uh, is it more of a philosophy thing than a mechanics issue? There was some really great insight from Bo Bichette on this on Sunday. He joined the broadcast and he talked about some of the team's issues hitting with runners in scoring position. And in Bo's estimation, uh, the team has not been as consistent and as disciplined locking in on the pitch they're looking for in those situations. So to hear Bo say it, you know, we can, we can look at that and say, Hey, some of the swing decisions we don't love from afar to hear someone who's in that locker room, to hear someone who is, has been by far this team's best hitter in those situations as well. Uh, say that as well was, uh, I mean, at the same time, it was frustrating to hear it, that they know it's an issue and haven't been able to resolve it. But yeah, it's affirming that what we're seeing from, Outside is something they're seeing internally as well. Uh, Bruce uh, says this bad situation with hitters in running hitters in running runners in scoring position uh, seems to be in players' heads. Any thoughts on what can be done to rectify that? Uh, no, the only way through it is through it. To quote Demar Derozan, and the only way guys are going to stop thinking about having trouble hitting with runners in scoring position is to have a couple games in a row where you hit with runners in scoring position. I don't think anyone in that room needs to look at the you know season long standings to be like, oh, well, we've only gone up from 23rd to 21st. But if you can string together a couple, uh, I don't think it takes too long for that get, to get put behind you. Uh, how you turn the page to that, though, is a little less clear. Um, Paul in South Frontenac had asked uh, if there was a change in Vlad's bats. Uh, this was based off of a conversation we had uh, earlier in the week or, or late last week about some of the odd barrel stats that Vlad has relative to his exit velocities. Um, I don't know if there was a change in this specific bat. I don't think so, just because the lead time on the custom design bats uh, is pretty long. So I was down at the Louisville Slugger Factory in April and uh, actually got to see some of Vlad's uh, bats in process there. So Vlad's a Louisville Slugger guy. He's still a Louisville Slugger guy. Um, whether he would change you know, the weight of the bat, the wood of the bat, something like that. I don't know if a guy would make that switch in season. Again, there's a bit of a lead time. Of course, you could just grab a teammate's bat if you needed to and try something different. Um, we've also seen guys around baseball start to go with the kind of uh, hockey puck 
end to the bat where it's a fat knob there. There's also the the axe handle bottom that looks a little awkward to get adjusted to. But as far as I know, no significant change uh, in bat for Vlad. I'll keep an eye out for that next time I'm down at the park, though. Uh, Ed and Aurelia, this is a, a bit of a, a random one, but uh, it's one that I care about. So uh, Ed thinks, I uh, says, I think too many managers rely on analytics too much instead of watching the flow of the game. What do I think? Um, I don't look, I think analytics gets uh, a pretty gets applied pretty broadly. Um, I think when it comes to which reliever is going to face, which guy uh, you can't really go. I mean, you can go flow of the game in terms of when to pull the starter and things like that. I think my, my strongest, I guess, counter to analytics take is that I think we've gone a little too far in uh, quick hooks for starting pitchers. I, I remember the wild card game last year with Kevin Gosman, some of the stuff with you say Kikuchi earlier this year. I'm just, I think it's worth it. There's value in your starting pitchers uh, going longer. And, and yes, third time through the order is a, is a real thing, but I think maybe we've gone a little too far now in terms of using analytics on the fly. Uh, look, you don't get, to have Jordan Hicks come in and pitch to three or four batters before he pitches in the spot you're going to use him in. You have to rely on some data for that because John Schneider or whoever's feel of, hey, I think this reliever might be good against this guy because I feel is not going to be as reliable as, hey, we've got this track record of what this hitter struggles against, what he does well, um, and here's what our pitchers do well or struggle against. Now, in terms of feel of the game with something like, hey, how aggressive are you going to be on the, the base paths? I thought yesterday was great. I thought Aaron Nola, as a guy who has struggled a little bit with the stolen bases this year, the Blue Jays had clearly picked something up on him, and that was the most aggressive we've seen the Jays on the base paths this year. And hey, JT Realmuto controls the run game very well. He is the king of pop time. So I think that's probably one that was more feel-based and picking something up off of Aaron Nola there. I think the the real answer with anything analytics though, and whether it's, you know, whether you're in favor of more data-driven decisions or, or analytics is the boogeyman to you is more information. And that includes your feel for the game. That includes knowing how guys are feeling in the clubhouse. That includes, you know, hey, your catcher reports back on what a guy's swings have looked like, which maybe we can't, uh, you know, we can't quantify in real time. Any information you can have that's going to give you an edge, you should be considering and looking at. There's a, a risk of information overload at times, to be sure. Uh, but saying, hey, managers are too analytic or not analytic enough, uh, I think you should be considering just about everything as you game plan for uh, opponents, especially as we head into these higher leverage games where every little edge is going to matter. Someone who knows something about winning championships as a player, we'll forgive him that it was for the Boston Red Sox, but also now as a co-owner is uh, Brandon Phillips, the team he and his wife, Jay Cargill, own in the Women's Professional Fast Pitch League, uh, just won the inaugural championship there. We're going to take a break. We'll talk to that dude BP. Brandon Phillips joins us next as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Diving deep into Leafs, Raptors, Jays, and NFL, the J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That is the entrance music of Brandon Phillips' wife, Jade Cargill. Together... 
They are the owners of the Texas Smoke, just one of four teams in the inaugural women's professional fast pitch league that just wrapped up. And who won the title? The Smoke. Brandon Phillips, Jake Cargill's team. Uh, that is a four-team league, by the way. Uh, this Their team is based in Austin. We're going to talk to Brandon Phillips in a few minutes here. As we wait for him, uh, we can do a little remembering of guys, remembering of career. Brandon Phillips, of course, most remembered as a Cincinnati Red. He spent 11 years in that organization. The Jays will play them this weekend. Brandon Phillips also grew up, he's not from Cincinnati, but grew up with Barry Larkin as his favorite player. So a lot of Cincinnati ties there. And yes, he started his major league career with Cleveland. A little Canadian tie here. He was originally drafted by the Montreal Expos in the second round back in 1999. And in one of the biggest and most notable trades in Montreal Expos history, both because of why and when they made it, but also the prospects they ended up giving up. Uh, the Montreal Expos acquired Bartolo Colon and Tim Drew for Cliff Lee, Grady Sizemore, Lee Stevens, and Brandon Phillips. A pretty good haul. Of course, Bartolo Colon had many, many good years uh, ahead of him there. He didn't spend a ton of time in Montreal. He made 17 starts, uh, picked up 117 innings uh, down the stretch of that season for the Expos, posted a 331 ERA. Uh, unfortunately, the Expos uh, came up a little short in that season. They go 83 and 79, so not quite what they were hoping for. Finished a nice, close uh, 19 games back of the Atlanta Braves and uh, 12 back of the San Francisco Giants in the wild card race. So didn't accomplish quite what it accomplished. And they paid a hefty price tag in prospects. Uh, Brandon Phillips, Cliff Lee, Grady Sizemore, Lee Stevens, even Lee Stevens, who is, uh, you know, at that point he was kind of a, a throw in in his thirties, but he'd spent several seasons uh, with that Expos organization. Cliff Lee would obviously go on to be an incredibly effective pitcher. It took him a little while to find it with Cleveland, uh, but he would lead the league in ERA one year. He would win a Cy Young. He would eventually join the Philadelphia Phillies twice, once in 2009, as they made the push to the World Series only to come up a little short. One of the most fun Philadelphia Phillies teams, uh, Cliff Lee and Cole Hamels in that rotation uh, and then Grady Sizemore was uh, pretty good for a long time as well. Uh, he's a guy who had a couple gold gloves, had a couple all-star appearances. Also, I mentioned earlier on a you know road trip to see a Cincinnati game in back in like 2008. Uh, I want to say it was 2008 or 2009. I was in Cleveland as well. And the single worst piece of sports merch I've ever picked up was a Grady Sizemore designed t-shirt. Uh, that was made out like in the style of like Ed Hardy or Affliction, which I, I guess was popular at the time. Very, very bad T-shirt. I wish I still had it uh, to show off and wear on the show every single day. Uh, so pretty big price tag that the Expos paid there for half a season of Bartolo Colon. Uh, so we might we might not be getting Brandon Phillips now. We might uh, we might pivot here and talk to uh, Sean Foreman of Sports Reference and hope. Brandon gives us a call in a little bit here. So apologies for that change in schedule. Brandon Phillips, of course, also a good immaculate grid piece because, yeah, everyone remembers him with Cincinnati, but he also snuck in Cleveland, the Angels, Atlanta, Boston. 
uh, and I mentioned Immaculate Grid because Sean Foreman, who we're going to talk to momentarily here, uh, is the founder and president of Sports Reference, which was originally baseball, just baseball reference. And uh, yeah, they acquired Immaculate Grid. And now when you go on there, there's a lot more uh, you can do with it, clicking through and seeing the lists of who was eligible and clicking, you know, just kind of clicking around, remembering some guys. Very curious to hear uh, if Sean has data on uh, just what that's done for the traffic over at sports reference um, while we wait for that uh, just a heads up if you are looking ahead to the pitching matchups this weekend uh, Jay's gonna roll as expected Jose Barrios Chris Bassett Hyunjin Ryu Friday Saturday Sunday a reminder that Friday is an Apple TV plus game so there'll be no TV broadcast on Sportsnet but Ben Schulman and I'll have the call for you on the radio side so on the Sportsnet radio network or if you're watching on Apple TV and flip over to uh, to the uh, the radio broadcast, rather. Uh, sorry about tripping over myself there. So for those of you who have been playing Immaculate Grid a lot, for those of you who are just anyone who has had a sniff of an inkling to look up data over the last 20 years when it comes around sports, we'll appreciate our next guest. He is the founder and president uh, president of Sports Reference. It's Sean Foreman. Sean, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Hi. Uh, so happy to be here. Thank you. Uh, so before we get into some of the Immaculate Grid stuff, which I'm sure people are, are curious about, uh, back in 2000, you created Baseball Reference, and you have a PhD in applied mathematics. Uh, can you walk me through a little bit of you? And hey, I, I know this a little bit because I got a, a degree and then decided I would rather apply everything to sports if I can. Uh, mm-hmm. Your path from PhD in applied mathematics to deciding, look, I'm going to pour this into baseball statistics and then eventually into all sports statistics. What has your personal path been like since the creation of Baseball Reference? Yeah, um, it, it's uh, it's definitely been a winding path. I uh, I mean, I in college I uh, was math major, but I was like intensely into fantasy baseball and created some websites around like minor league prospects and things like that. So I was interested. I was already doing like publishing on the web for uh, for for baseball uh, related things. And so in graduate school, I actually while I was in graduate school uh, working on my PhD is when I launched Baseball Reference. So it was. It was kind of a thesis avoidance uh, project for me and something that I was doing on the side the whole time. Uh, and eventually it got big enough where I decided, you know, and this is what I want to do every night and weekend. Why don't I do it during the day instead? And so I you know, quit my job as a math professor and, uh, and started doing the site full time in 2006. So when you were a math professor, and I know this is at the, the university and college level because you have a Ph.D. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not high school math or, or uh, elementary right. school math. But I always found and I've always been a bit of a data nerd. But the easiest way for me to learn anything math was just applying it to sports statistics. Did, did you find some utility? in that either as a student or as a professor it was uh it, it wasn't directly applicable i i did i was in applied math so i did a lot of computer programming as part of my uh part of my research so that definitely paid off for me directly but i kind of my dirty little secret is i really don't know like real statistics very <laughs> well at all uh so i i'm more of a yeah i'm more of an applied mathematician but uh yeah it's it's i, I what, it, what really gets me excited is like creating uh presentations for data, finding interesting ways to present the data and, 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 uh, you know, and, and answering people's questions. So that's, that's always been, you know, kind of the foremost thing that we, uh, we focus on at sports reference. And I mean, Hey, that's what the entire play index, the stat head uh, side of the site, which is behind a paywall is, is, Hey, if you have a question and you know how to ask it, well, here are 
countless, countless answers. Um, so you started this back in 2000. We're in 2023 now, uh, and this is, you know, a, a look, a, a bit of a navel gazing question. But um, when you think about where we were as a sports community in 2000 and where we are now, do you feel like sports reference has had a, a pretty big hand in uh, either reshaping how we talk about sports and how we think about sports, or at least providing the, the ability for us to take the next step forward? I, I mean, I hope we certainly had some impact. I think, you know, I think about, you know, when we were starting some of the arguments over the MVP in baseball or things like that. And, and, you know, the impact of stats like wins above replacement. And, and I know, you know, people talk about, you know, VORP or wind shares when basketball MVP discussions come up. So I, I think we've definitely had an impact. I think making, you know, uh, one of our core values is data democratization. So making data available to a wider range of people has allowed people, you know, current general managers who, when they were kids, you know, may have, excuse me, may have come to our site and got data, you know, and, and, and uh, downloaded data to use in research and things like that. So we, you know, we take a lot of pride in that. And I, I think, you know, hopefully we have had a, a positive impact overall. I, 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 I will accept the argument that maybe we've, uh, we've, uh, there have been at parts of it that have ruined baseball in terms <laughs> of like fewer stolen bases, fewer bunts, you know, a uh, little less difference in strategy and stuff like that, that I think analytics has probably led to, but I, you know, I, I, I think uh, hopefully there's been more good than bad. I think there's also a, a helpful piece in terms of appreciating the history of the game where stats are an easy right. way to come to the, and, and I know that Adam Dorowski is one of your 11 uh, full-time employees there. Does he, so sometimes I will needle him and I will pass along like annoying little requests or suggestions. I take it. Those don't make it to your desk. Adam just files them in the trash for you. Uh, I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Most of the good ideas we've had have been because users have sent them to us. So we, we actually have a whole system for like backlogging and tracking, you know, suggestions from users. And if we, we get them from multiple people, you know, maybe you can, uh, create a, create a couple, uh, alter egos and send them in, uh, <laughs> separate ways to get, to get them up the, up the list. But, Perfect. uh, yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, we definitely want to hear from our users. Um, so how how have you seen that demand and appetite for what you guys do change over the years? I, I know you guys eclipsed one billion site views in 2022. Um, you know, still managed to again. Like there was a recent article about you guys. Hey, 11 full time employees still run out of uh, a church in Philadelphia, but the demand for what you guys do has obviously um, exploded. How has the the sports reference side of things and how has Stathead grown in recent years? Yeah, yeah, we've actually so that that article that you referenced, I think, was from twenty twenty. Maybe we, we're okay. actually at thirty three. We're at thirty three employees. Oh, my, my mistake. Sorry. Pretty, yeah, no, that's all right. We we've grown pretty substantially over the last two or three years. It's you know we've see, definitely seen. At, you mentioned other sports, so we obviously have have expanded to other sports. You know, we have hockey. We have uh, hockey reference. We have pro football reference. We have FB Ref, which is our soccer site. Uh, and covers all pretty much the entire world of soccer. So, you know, I think that's been the main way that we've grown. And then each site, in a, you know, is, is getting better every day, and we're trying to improve each site each day. So it's, it's been a combination of more sports, uh, bringing in different kinds of fans, but also kind of serving the fans we have both in our reference sites and then, as you mentioned, StatHead. For people who are really, you know, deeply into this stuff, uh, you know, we have a subscription feature that, you know, at, at present allows you to search through our database and really, really puts a, 
uh, a front end on our database so you can you can find answers to the questions you have. And if anyone ever wonders how I come up with weird stats and things like that on, on Twitter or on broadcast quickly, uh, that that is how. That is how. It's all stat head subscription there. Um, so, Sean, you're Philly-based. How much – I know you started this as baseball um, – has running the site over the years and being so deep into the business and data side of it, has it changed your relationship with baseball? Are you still like a pretty big baseball fan, a Phillies fan? I, I mean, I, I'm definitely still a baseball fan. I, uh, I, I, I probably not, I'm not definitely not following it as closely as I was, you know, in the nineties or, or two thousands. Um, you know, I just have more things going on and, and kind of have to, to uh, deal with all of the sports. I, I got a lot into soccer when we launched the soccer site five years ago. And so I was a big, you know, kind of handled the initial build for that. And, you know, there was a lot to learn. And so I spent a lot of time in that. Um, so it's, I'm definitely not as, not as into it as I uh, also have kids and uh, there are teenagers now. So, uh, you know, kind of a combination of all those things. I, I, I used to be able to name, I could probably name all the blue Jay, you know, the top five relievers in the blue Jays pen. I, I, honestly don't know if I can name a single one at this point. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely decreased over a little bit over time. Well, if you still have that encyclopedic knowledge of nineties and two thousands rosters, do I have a game for you, Sean? It's immaculate grid. Uh, you guys, the, you guys acquired it for sports reference and have uh, rolled that out now to, to basketball and hockey and football. And I know there's a, there's a soccer beta that you're working on right now. Uh, can you walk us a little bit through the process of, you know, discovering immaculate grid and how, how you guys went about uh, acquiring that for the sports reference pages. Yeah. So, uh, so Brian Minter, the, the person who created it, you know, launched it, I think in April and it kind of, kind of uh, was, was not really getting much traction. And then it got shared on Reddit and it sort of exploded after that. And, and really what brought it to our attention, we were, somebody in our group uh, uh, started playing it and, and mentioned it on our Slack. And so we all started playing it really. And then soon after that, um, you know, we started noticing we were actually getting traffic because I think people, uh, to baseball reference, because people were looking up, uh, you know, blue Jay, people who played for the blue Jays and the Red Sox. And, and we were, uh, you know, we were the best place to get that information. So, you know, we, soon after that, Brian actually reached out to us and we had mutual interest and, and, uh, pretty quickly closed, closed, uh, closed the deal, uh, July 1st. And then, from there, it was a kind of a 10-day sprint to get everything onto our infrastructure and built on our database and and that, uh, yeah. And so it's it's been amazing. We uh, the the level of interest in the game is is uh, you know is sky high. You know we're seeing uh, you know several hundred thousand games completed each day. Wow. And, and uh, yeah, so it's 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 really grown. We get a huge amount of email volume about it. We've are it's kind of inundated our customer success. Uh, people uh to the degree where we you know might need to think about like moving more people into that role for us so it's it's uh it's it's you know and then from there we launched uh we have uh, american football we have hockey and then we also have basketball and as you mentioned we're we're, ma- we're launching immaculate footy today which is going to be the soccer version so that at hopefully i think the plan is at 2 p.m eastern today that'll get launched so if uh if people want to look for that uh, that'll be at immaculatefooty.com i will be a disaster at that one but people could check it out at immaculate footy uh, you mentioned you're seeing hundreds of thousands of them uh, completed each day on the baseball side. Um, and apologies if you don't have the data handy, handy and I'm putting you on the spot, but um, are you seeing a lot of like trickle down of like, Hey, once someone's done the grid, there's also a lot of just clicking around the baseball reference pages. Like I'd imagine yeah. everyone is heading down to the transactions tabs and just kind of clicking around old transactions and things like that. Right. 
Yeah, we, you know, one, one of the nice things, uh, when, when we launched it, we actually already had uh, pages, a tool on our site that would show you all the players who had played for any two teams, uh, both had, who had played for both of any two teams. And so we added links to that. You know, once you complete the grid, we actually, you know, send you, there's a link where you can go see who are all the possible answers for this, for this cell in the grid. And so we've launched that across all of our sites. And so, yeah, we're, we're definitely seeing a lot of people going from, you know, finishing the grid and then going and looking uh, for information or, you know, trying to jog their memory. Like why wasn't, you know, why, why wasn't uh, uh, Gene Tanache the right answer for, you know, for this square when I thought for sure he had played for both these teams, you know, things like that. So it's, it, it, we're definitely seeing that as a, uh, you know, as a benefit, uh, both for us and I, hopefully for the users as well. Do you get, and, and I don't know if you would have seen this, but feedback of, of people being, uh, you know, I've heard a couple people say, oh, this guy managed that team and I, and I got it wrong because of that. I've had a couple where a guy was definitely a prospect in a system and I was trying to get right. too cute and he just hadn't right. made the major league. Do you, do you get people uh, in your ears about that? Oh yeah, ab- absolutely. We get uh, people. Yeah, I mean, I, both people who are. Uh, I mean, that happened to me. I think I thought, you know, oh, Booth Bonser got traded from the uh, Giants to the Twins, and he's gonna he's gonna have a really low rarity score there. But he he had not yet appeared for the Giants, so he, he never he never played for them. So yeah, there's a lot of stuff like that that happens. That uh, you know, you, uh, you you we get a lot of emails like that, and and uh, we patiently answer them. And so, some of them are. Usually, the, the the user has misremembered something or or didn't didn't quite understand the rules. But we're trying to make it more clear so so people uh, people can play the game better it, going forward. It's the uh, yeah, it's the fan version of a, a pitcher arguing a you know a ball call that was clearly a ball or a strike that was clearly uh, a strike. Sean, I want to pivot off of grid here. You've tweeted about something a couple times lately, and it's something that's come up uh, a couple times on this show, even uh, a couple times in this Blue Jays Philly series. The there is. Maybe not a conspiracy theory, but a, a little bit of a swell in belief that maybe Major League Baseball has nudged scores to call those 50-50 errors or hits oh. hits a little bit more often. Now, I know you tweeted some data uh, the other day that this is... I, I, you didn't say whether you believe it or not, but there is about a 125-year trend of errors shrinking around baseball uh do you have a feeling on this suspicion that people have or just where the data has trended in terms of errors over the years yeah i i I, so you know so basically i mean it's every every two or three years we set a new record for fewest errors in a game uh and part of that part of that is also because there are fewer balls in play so some of it is the fielder i think the fielders are getting much better the fields are much better the glove technology is much better all of that makes fielding easier. Um, and that then we also have the situation where more players are striking out, more walks, more home runs. So you just have fewer balls in play overall. So there are fewer errors to be made. But even if, you know, even if you look at like double plays made, you know, we, we see far more double plays turn than you did like in the 1960s, 50s, you know, 40s. It, it's, it's a pretty stark trend. And so I, for me, I think it's much more likely that we're just seeing better fielding happening uh, overall uh, rather than, uh, ra- rather than uh, the scorers putting their thumbs on the scale. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I think I suspect if you went back every year for the last 50 years, you could probably find enough, you know, suspicious calls that you can make a similar argument about, uh, about scores, you know, trying to score more hits or something like that. Yeah. So we, I, you look hard enough. You can come up with anything, right? 
that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at. But I I, uh, I I just think I also wonder like if no longer having the shift is making the fielders a little more competent in terms. You know, you're not having a third baseman in a context where he's unfamiliar as as you know as he was if he was shifted to the uh, to the right of second base. And so, you know, that might also lead to a reduction of errors because you're not seeing players playing so far out of position as they would before. So that, I, I, I I don't know. I, I I'm I'm skeptical that the scores are are making much of a difference. To be and, honest. And then no shift also also has the Derek Jeter impact of you can't make an error on a ball you can't get to. So right, uh, the right, errors perhaps. are artificially uh, artificially low there too. Uh, Sean, last one before I, I let you go here. I know you got to take off. Um, this is this is a broad one, but you spend a lot of time with baseball data. Uh, you came to your profession through just a, a passion for, for baseball and baseball stats. If you had the power to change whether a, a rule or just how we quantify something, some stat quirk in baseball, what would you tweak? What would be front of mind? They give you the book. You can make one change in how we quantify the sport of baseball. How we quantify it? Uh, I, I mean, the, the, the real change I would be curious about would actually be making the gloves smaller on the players and, mm. and actually encouraging more balls in play. Uh, you know, if the, if the fielders weren't quite as uh, quite as uh, good at fielding all the time, you know, would we see more bunts? Would we, you know, bunts for base hits? Would we see more players trying to put the ball in play? So. I'd be curious about that. It probably wouldn't have an impact, um, you know, but it, it, I would be for any rule change or tweak that would, that would get us more triples, more balls in play, things like that. So I, I, I grew up watching the eighties uh, and everybody says, you know, when they're, when they were 12 was the best baseball you ever watched. So I am probably, uh, probably guilty of that. But for me, that's something that I'd like to see change. Hey, Ray Ordonez was my favorite player when I was younger. So anything yeah. that puts a, a further premium on, on elite defense, whether it's smaller gloves and, and we could still see shortstops going into the hole with them. Uh, I'm all for right. it. And Sean, this came up because someone asked me the other day, the Jays had a ground rule double that didn't score a runner from first, uh, okay. even though he was like well around third when it went right. over. That was a rule I got asked about. Uh, I dug into the numbers and this is another thing. Baseball reference uh, lets us do it. And you know, 41% of the time a guy will score from first on a double. And I was like, well, that's right. not over 50%. So maybe we, uh, right. maybe right. we don't change the rule. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, that's uh yeah. I, I, uh, if you had asked me where that, you probably know the site better than I do then. Cause I'm not <laughs> sure I could find that, find that information myself. So, uh, so yeah, that's good to hear. Well, I am a nerd. Sean is the thing. I spend a lot of time <laughs> on there. So thank you for everything, uh, over the years. And thanks for, uh, um, your part in making it. So immaculate grid is all anyone talks about pregame. When we go down to the ballpark now, I appreciate you taking the time out this morning as well. Thank you. Thank you very much. Sean Foreman, the president and founder of Sports Reference. They have, of course, acquired Immaculate Grid. That is where you are playing your Immaculate Grid now. I know there are a couple uh, alternate grids out there in other sports, but if you're looking to do it all one place, you can do baseball, football, basketball, hockey there. And as of today, at 2 p.m. Eastern, Immaculate Footy dot com as well. So if you are a soccer fan and want to try your hand at that, you can do that. Uh, as well. Apologies again that uh, I don't believe we're going to get Brandon Phillips. Uh, after all, we'll see if we can work him in uh, another time, but strongly encourage you still to go check out um, what Brandon Phillips and Jay Cargill and the rest of the people involved with the women's professional fast pitch team are doing. They just wrapped up their inaugural season. Uh, Brandon, the team owned by Brandon Phillips and former AW TBS champion, Jay Cargill uh, won the inaugural championship. We're going to stick with the Reds, though, because the Jays open a three-game set in Cincinnati uh, tomorrow. Sounds like some Jays fans are, are going to go down and check that one out. Cool ballpark. 
not uh, the liveliest city in the world, but not a not a bad one and uh, a ballpark I liked anyway. Maybe that's just the Adam Dunn walk off memory uh, of it, but um, certainly a fond game there. Uh, we're going to take a break. I'll talk to Annie Sabo of Bally Sports Cincinnati to get the red side of things. They're juggling a four-man rotation. They're juggling some of their hot young prospects cooling off a little bit here. Still one of the most teams in baseball, one of the most fun teams in baseball. And on Sunday, according to the probable pitchers, we will see the return from the IL of flamethrower Hunter Green. So a lot of fun stuff to set up for that series with Annie Sabo next as Jay's Talk Plus continues on the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet 360. Smart takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Just heads up. Really nice piece on Jay Jackson today over at The Athletic from our pal, Caitlin McGrath uh, got the chance to talk to Jay Jackson a little before yesterday's game. Uh, really cool to get to uh, know him and his story and how him and his family are dealing with what they're dealing with, with his, uh, his newborn son, Jr. Uh, right now. Strongly recommend checking out Caitlin's piece over at The Athletic. Uh, Jay Jackson got in the game last night, a little bit of a mop-up situation, uh, gave up a home run. Jays lose 9-4 to four to the Phillies. If you are looking at the standings, the Jays still holding on to that third wild card spot, but now only a game up on the Seattle Mariners. Over in the National League, the wild card race is even tighter. The Philadelphia Phillies are atop that wild card race. San Francisco Giants, two back of them. And then the Chicago Cubs, Cincinnati Reds, and Miami Marlins are all tied for that third spot. Arizona's not far behind. San Diego's still alive. Uh, the Blue Jays will see that Cincinnati Reds team for a three-set this weekend down in Cincinnati. Joining us now to help us tee it up, Reds reporter and host at Bali Sports Cincinnati, Annie Sabo. Annie, good morning. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. How are you guys? Uh, be better if the Jays had won yesterday, you know, and they were in a stronger wild card position. Uh, how are you being around this Reds team every day? This is going to be a wild last six weeks in that NL wild card race. Yes, it, it really is. It's just crazy. I mean, I covered this team last year when the team went 62 and 100, <laughs> and last night they won their 63rd game, so surpassing their win total for all of last year. And now the team's, yeah, on the hunt for an NL wildcard uh, spot, a tight race there, so every win counts a little bit extra. Uh, every single day, but I mean, this team uh, inside the clubhouse, just a great group of guys, and it's been a super exciting season for all of Cincinnati, which is a massive baseball town. I know the Bengals have been doing well over the last couple of seasons, but Cincinnati truly is a baseball city, and it's just been so nice to to watch this team this year and to uh, follow them as they hopefully make a successful postseason push. So in addition to, you know, this tight playoff race and an exciting team, they're also short of the Cleveland Guardians, the youngest team uh, in all of baseball. Now that's come with some ups and downs at time. And the Reds, who were at one point the hottest team in baseball, have cooled a little bit the last five or six weeks. What sort of challenges is this Reds team dealing with right now beyond just, hey, it's a really tight wild card race with a lot of teams in it. Uh, it is a pretty inexperienced group, and it seems like some of the guys are going through uh, a few growing pains right now. Is that a fair read on it? 
Yeah, that's a fair read. The Guardians, they led Major League Baseball and MLB debuts last year. The Reds lead that category this year. It's kind of been an up-and-down season. They started the year really slow and then got really high right before the All-Star break, and things are kind of slower post-All-Star break than what a lot of people had originally expected. I mean, health, especially when it comes to the starting rotation, has been a huge issue. Uh, Two starters who began the year in the rotation – Right-handed pitcher, our resident flamethrower, Hunter Green, has been out since June, and uh, lefty Nick Lodolo has also been out. Hunter Green making his return to the rotation on Sunday, so that's good news. But, yeah, the theme of this season for Cincinnati has been the youth, and it seems like when one thing is going right, another is going wrong post-All-Star break. Our starting rotation really has been struggling, as has or as has, yeah, the offense. Um, Last night really erupted a couple of home runs and some nice catches in center field by uh, T.J. Friedel. So it was nice to see the offense kind of all come together last night as the Reds beat the Guardians. But it's kind of been a time where the offense has been skidding and not really producing like they were pre-All-Star break where they were just firing at all cylinders. Yeah, there's an element, too, of one of the things that helped this offense really go and made this team so exciting is they and they still lead baseball in stolen bases. But some of the league has caught up a little bit. And of course, uh, what base can't you steal? Well, first base and some of the uh, the speedsters (laughs) have had a little trouble getting on. How much fun has that element been, though, to have this team that not only running more than any other team in baseball, but compared to you know, any recent history of baseball, considering that stolen bases are just way up around the league. This is the most we've seen any team run in years. It's got to be, uh, it's got to be a blast to see day to day. Yeah, it's been great. And that really has been a focus every single spring training for Cincinnati for the last couple of seasons. Last year didn't necessarily pan out all that well, but yeah, I mean, the Reds taking full advantage of the the new rules this year by wreaking havoc on the base pass. One of my friends who covers the Cubs was texting me, asking me, how does this team score? And I said, well, it's not necessarily a power-hitting team. We sit kind of in the middle of of baseball in terms of home runs, but lead the lead all of baseball in stolen bases. So I said, it's simply this group can put the ball in play and they're going to make you pay on the basis. So yeah, that's been super exciting to watch. Of course we have Ellie Daly Cruz, the fastest man um, in all America or in all in baseball uh, right now, as he claims. So um, yeah, it's been great. The guys are so aggressive um, on the basis, puts a lot of pressure on opposing starters. Uh, But yeah, it's been an asset of, this Cincinnati team that we haven't necessarily seen in past seasons. That's been extremely exciting to watch this year for anyone who doesn't know the context of just how much Cincinnati is running compared to the recent history of the league. We're only three quarters of the way down the season and they have already stolen more bases than any team over a full season since 2016 uh, when the Brewers kind of ran all over the league this year. So this is something we have not seen. And that was like Jonathan VR had like 60 stolen bases that year. It was almost mm-hmm. all him. Uh, so this is something we haven't seen uh, a lot of. So you mentioned there have been some struggles on the pitching side 
both both with help and so many debuts. It sounds like, based on the probable pitchers the Reds have listed, uh, that we are going to see Hunter Green back in this series starting Sunday. Obviously, one of the most exciting and electric young pitchers in baseball. Um, wh- what should we expect to see from Hunter Green if we do get him Sunday as planned? Yeah, well, um, the right hip that kept him sidelined for the last couple of months or so feels really good. He had an electric outing um, in AAA just the other day. Uh, one unearned runs, nine strikeouts across five and two-thirds innings of work. This is a guy who obviously is going to uh, hit the 100 uh, mark on the radar guns, but um, he's going to pitch on Sunday with no restrictions. Uh, Reds manager David Bell said he's fully healthy ready to go, feels great, looking forward to the opportunity to uh, joining the rotation again. But uh, for Toronto fans who are not necessarily all that familiar with Hunter Green, forcing fastball up there with one of the best, or up there as, you know, probably one of the, one of the better four-seamers in all of baseball. He uh, has been exciting to watch and inked a pretty, uh, pretty lucrative contract extension this year. So uh, a lo- whole lot of fastballs, the sliders coming along and it's change up. Uh, I think it's going to be sorry. Sorry, Blue Jays fans. I think he's going to have a great outing, but uh, should be a really fun competitive series. And uh, it'll be a competitive couple of uh, appearances. If Bo Bichette is back and in the lineup for that one, they had a, a nice battle when they saw each other last year, Bo Bichette sitting on that slider early on. And he was about the only Jay that had any luck with Hunter green that day. Uh, Saturday is going to be uh, another exciting young starter in lefty rookie, Brandon Williamson Friday. There is a TBD on the board. Andy, do you have a sense of what the plan might be? Uh, Brett Kennedy kind of leading a bullpen day sort of thing, or is that still something the Reds are working through? I think it's something the Reds are still working through. I don't know if it's going to be an opener-like situation or not, but um, I expect to hear a little bit more on that later in the day today. Um, so so we'll see. But yeah, Brandon Williamson, also just a great surprise rookie-wise uh, for the Cincinnati Reds team. He really credits pitching coach Derek Johnson for his turnaround and just taking care of his side of, of the mental, his mental uh, game, I should say, has been a huge key to his success. Uh, so this is a, a very young and exciting team. They do have a couple of veteran guys and any Joey Votto is someone everyone here in Canada keeps a close eye on roots for we've had him on the show. Now he doesn't like to talk about himself a lot and give himself any sort of credit that the hitting has obviously been really nice since he returned from the IL, but Joey Votto's leadership with a young team like this, how important has he been to kind of keeping the ship steady and how important will he be heading into the stretch run of this playoff race? Yeah, I mean, Joey Votto is, I mean, I know, hugely popular in Toronto, but he also is here in Cincinnati. You know, he's been at this organization his entire career, a fan favorite. And as I mentioned, this team extremely young, and they look to guys like Joey Votto to kind of steer the ship in the right direction. Um, I know Joey Votto has been so entertaining last year and this year on social media, so you know, he's he's just such an interesting character, but leads by example on the field. I mean, yesterday he had a pair of hits and was still so upset later in the game after striking out with, uh, I believe it was two men on base in the seventh or eighth. I can't remember, but um, just a guy who really takes 
takes himself and the game seriously, you know, at 39, 40 years old, still wants to perform like he's 22 years old. And I think that's something that the younger guys really look up, look up to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Votto will be hugely important, especially if this young ball club does make does make the playoffs. Uh, the last time they were in the postseason was, was 2020. And the NL wildcard series against Atlanta, Joey Votto was there. So he will be able to offer some words of wisdom to some of the younger guys if that does happen, another, as, as we hope it does happen in Cincinnati. <laughs> another vet in Cincinnati that we're familiar with here uh, in Toronto is Luke Maley. Do, do we have to watch out for his pitching repertoire this week? It feels like he's pitching like <laughs> once every couple weeks now. I know. He is just Luke Maley. Uh, he is, how did I describe him the other day? He is so intimidating yet provides a calming presence inside the clubhouse. I spoke to him yesterday and he is also just a big leader on this team. And I asked him about that. And Luke Maley always deflects attention away from himself, away from himself, just saying, you know, my job every day is to go into the ball game and, and, you know, catch a good game and try to provide some hits. And if I'm a leader on this team, so be it. Um, I don't know if we're necessarily going to see him pitching anymore, (laughs) but um, the presence he provides, the veteran presence he provides behind the plate. And I mean, Hey, he's been, He's been swinging a hot bat as of late as well. Has been huge for this team. Uh, He grew up across the river in northern Kentucky, so it's been great to have him back in a a hometown Cincinnati Reds uniform, but a guy that is quietly intense and intimidating, but also calming at the same time. He's been a a great uh, resource to some of the younger players as well. Uh, Annie, when you look at where this team could be going, obviously – your hope and the hope in Cincinnati and we hope after this series here in Toronto that Cincinnati makes one of those final playoff spots even if they don't or if they do get in when you look at how young this team is outside of guys like Votto and Maley uh, and you look to you know this young core that Cincinnati is going to be building with the next couple of years how big do you think this stretch run is going to be in terms of getting those guys those reps that experience in a lot of high leverage baseball here versus say last year where this time it was kind of playing out the string and just getting your reps in. Yeah, well, I think it's extremely exciting. And as I've said, I think this Reds team is going to be competitive and good for years to come. I mean, we have some great depth and talent down in our farm system as well, especially in Triple A Louisville. So a lot of guys that, you know, are on the verge of making their big league debut, it's just we don't have any room on the roster right now because we have so much talent and depth there. Um, but, I mean, it just – Quite the turnaround from last season. I wasn't necessarily sure. or I knew it was going to be a much better season than last year. I didn't know it was going to be this great of a season. So I think it's been a pleasant surprise to a lot of baseball fans here in this town. But I think the hope is that this this team is going to be great for years to come, you know, competing for for pennant titles for, for years to come. And um, I think with all the, the youth on this team that we do have and down in AAA, that's going to be the case. And it's exciting. It's a good time to be a Reds baseball fan. I know, you know, the last time they won a World Series was it was back in 1990. But um, it, it's been fun to watch. And I would uh, be excited if you're a Reds fan here in Cincinnati for the upcoming couple of seasons.
Uh, Annie, last one before I let you go here. I know before in Cincinnati, you were at Bally Sports North, so you get to know Jose Barrios uh, a little bit. Maybe you don't get to talk to him tomorrow because it's his start day, but are you looking forward to catching up with, with Jose? And, uh, you know, from afar, ha- have you gotten to check out much of, obviously, uh, a weird year for him last year, but every bit back to the Jose Barrios you would have saw in Minnesota this season? Oh, yeah. I mean, it was kind of a weird time when I was in Minnesota due to COVID rules, so we weren't necessarily able to interact with the players as we are now. But, I mean, Jose was just so well-loved and well-received in Minnesota. Um, His character was always something that was so highly praised. So I'm looking forward to seeing him take the mound this weekend. Um, I know he was just so loved, and the fan base, the Twins fan base, was devastated when he was traded away. Um, So unfortunately, I didn't get to speak to him in person due to all the COVID restrictions, but... um, if I do get to head into the clubhouse tomorrow or um, this this weekend, I'm sure I'll say hi to him because, yeah, he was so beloved in a Twins uniform. Well, we'll look forward to that, and we'll look forward to that on the, the Saturday and Sunday broadcast. Friday, of course, at Apple TV Plus One. So I, I guess, do you get Friday off then? Yeah, we have a few days off. I just had um, – <laughs> I have a newborn currently wearing my daughter as I do this interview <laughs> – so um, a couple of days off will be nice to get get some rest. So, yeah, we have um, Friday off and back at it uh, Saturday and Sunday. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time anyway, but especially now that I know it's part of a double off day and you've got a newborn strapped to your chest. Uh, Annie Sabo, Reds reporter and host of Bally Sports Cincinnati. Thank you so much for taking the time out. Of course. Have a great one, guys. Annie Sabo. Uh, Reds reporter, host, Bally Sports, Cincinnati. Again, we're looking at Jose Barrios against a TBD on Friday. Maybe we find out today who the Reds are going to roll in that one, whether it's an opener slash follower, whether Brett Kennedy gets the nod and just has a quick hook, or uh, if they do something else there, we know it'll be Brandon Williamson, the rookie lefty on Saturday. It'll be Hunter Green, the flamethrowing righty on Sunday. And the way that lines up, has me a little curious about how the Blue Jays roll with Bo Bichette here. So if you missed it earlier, Bo Bichette was the designated hitter in a game for the Buffalo Bisons yesterday, went two for three, scored from first on a double, got the wheels going. Uh, the Blue Jays want him to play shortstop. So the plan is for him to play shortstop today with Buffalo. And then we'll see. There is a scenario where he rejoins the team and is active Friday, um, depending on what the Reds do there. Maybe you could DH him. Maybe you could DH him anyway. Um, but the tough thing about giving Boba Shed a DH day against a righty is that you really want Brandon Belts batting the lineup against every righty. And you're probably not giving Vlad many days off, especially when you have so many regularly scheduled off days this last little bit. But you look to Saturday, a lefty on the hill. Well, hey, maybe Brandon Belt is down that day. Boba Shed gets a DH day there. And you definitely want Boba Shed in the lineup on Sunday because he had some success against Hunter green last year, jumping all over a couple of early sliders and taking one out of the park. Now you're not going to extrapolate that, that he's always going to homer off Hunter green, but they were some fun battles. Uh, so then if you want him in there Saturday to DH against the lefty and you want him in there Sunday against Hunter green, maybe it's a scenario where you say, Hey, don't play him Friday. So he'll go Wednesday, Thursday, have the off day Friday to see how he feels rejoin the team Saturday. Uh, but also if Bobachet's ready to go after today, then Bobachet's ready to go after today. This is not a guy who likes to miss very much time whatsoever. On the Jays' side of things, it'll be Jose Barrios Friday, Chris Bassett Saturday, Hyunjin Ryu Sunday. 
And we're expecting a flurry of transactions at some point. Matt Chapman and Danny Jansen both expected to be available once again for the series opener tomorrow after getting the last couple of days off. Uh, we expect Bo Bichette back at some point in this weekend series. We expect Trevor Richards back at some point in this weekend series. And Kevin Kiermeyer. last we heard, uh, no need for rehab assignment for him. He was waiting to get the stitches removed, but has done a couple days of full practicing and doing everything you'd want to see from him. So the Jays getting some reinforcements there. Let's close up the show with a couple of mailbag questions I didn't get to earlier. John and Mississauga had a follow-up to our question about um, managers and the use of analytics versus flow of the game. And John says, I feel like flow of the game directly correlates to analytics. Uh, people should have more of a problem with the application of the analytics and not the concept. I agree, John. That is well said. The information should help inform your decisions. But yeah, you can, the thing with numbers and the things with situations is you can misapply it or just have a different opinion and read on it. Uh, there's not like a book that says do this every single time uh, in every situation. Sorry, a little sniffly today. Steph from Quebec City asks if uh, I think the Jays will give a qualifying offer to Matt Chapman. He should refuse it, but if he accepts, we'd be good to have him for one more year at $19 million. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a lock that Matt Chapman gets a, a qualifying offer from the Blue Jays, and I would say, barring injury, it is a lock that he would decline that and then enter free agents. Agency, rather. Oh, there was a question in the text line. I thought it was just one of my producers putting a question in there. Who was the bumper music uh, at 1130? It was the the band Thursday. The song was Understanding in a Car Crash. By the way, I put all the songs that I use as bumper music into a playlist on Spotify. If I get this question sometimes of what was this song or, or you should put them on the playlist, it exists. If you just search Jay's Talk and the plus symbol on Spotify, uh, you will find a playlist there of all the bumper music that I play to keep myself occupied and annoy Lance behind the glass with with very specific song cues. No, Lance, I don't play the songs that you play at, when you go rogue on me. Uh, sorry. Uh, so someone who didn't sign their text says, Jays are brutal in the AL East, just a game over 500. Should we be using this as a judge of how far they'll go this year or do these kind of stats mean less when it comes to the playoffs? Um, I, I don't think... It tells us something. Uh, they've certainly struggled with the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, I don't think if you get into the numbers beyond the Orioles, it, it's all that bad. Obviously, they had been struggling with the Red Sox before rounding out to the last series. Um, probably the more notable one is just that the Jays are a couple games under 500 against winning teams, period. So they're kind of doing what you'd hope an average-ish team does, which is eh, you lose to good teams a little more often, but you really take care of business against bad teams. That is... Fine, but you would like to see them, you know, get up to 500, start playing a little better when they do have those tougher pockets of competition. The Cincinnati Reds are, of course, an over 500 team, so they'll get a couple games against them this weekend, and then they'll roll into Baltimore for three, and everyone knows the problem the Jays have had with the Baltimore Orioles and specifically Ryan Mountcastle, who, hey, Here's something to make you feel better, Jays fans, but also terrify you for next week. Ryan Mountcastle has the best batting average in baseball since the All-Star break, so he's not just doing it to the Toronto Blue Jays. He's doing it to everyone now. Uh, someone who didn't sign there says, Brandon Belt is sitting 295 with the bases empty, 203 with runners on, 197 with runners in scoring position. Um, should they put him somewhere in the lineup where he isn't hitting with potential runners on? Um, his OBP is solid but can't get hit with runners on. I mean, he's already hitting in the two spot. So if you drop him, what are you going to do? If you put him in the five, six spot, those are, those are generally more 
uh, run driving in opportunity spots. I don't think you're going to drop them any lower in the lineup than that because the OBP is so important for getting guys on base for Vlad and for George Springer and things like that. Um, the runners in scoring position stuff, I'd have to dive in a little bit more to see if he's expanding the zone or there's something specific he is doing. Um, those are stats that can be noisy in small samples. The Jays who have struggled for the most part this year in those situations are the Jays who have struggled in all situations. Um, so good question from uh, uh, what's going on with the numbers standpoint, application standpoint. I, I think you probably still want that OBP high in the lineup and dropping him into the lower middle part of the lineup. You're going to have more runners on scoring in scoring position, I think anyway, but I will dive into that a little bit more and see if I can't figure out what is specifically ailing Brandon belt in those situations. Maybe we'll talk about it tomorrow since we won't have a fresh game to talk about. The Jays are off tonight. Blair and Barker are still with you five to seven. Uh, Jesse Rubinoff and Sam McKee are coming up next for you. We will be back for the 10 a.m. Jays Talk Plus tomorrow. I'll be on the call all weekend with Ben Schulman again, and you can check us out Friday because it's an Apple TV Plus game, so there'll be no Sportsnet TV broadcast. Thanks to Keegan, Sean, and Annie for coming on, to Jennifer, Lance, and Jeff behind the glass. We're back 10 a.m. tomorrow. Rubinoff and McKee, have you next.